I would love to just welcome everyone to tonight's CCL training, a weekly webinar program of Citizens Climate Lobbies that provides CCL supporters with access to in-depth training opportunities on topics related to climate change and effective climate advocacy. I'm your host, Brett Cease, and tonight's going to dive into the Farm Bill Basics. Tune in for a training that will provide a high-level overview of the basics behind the five-year cycle behind the Farm Bill, including the roles that the House and the Senate Committee play in the process and the climate provisions within this year's discussion. And I will put a link in the chat where you can follow along with the slides, as well as where you will be able to find the recording after today. And let me tell you a little bit about our speaker tonight. Greg Jason is a friend of mine, a fellow Minnesotan, and a retired a retiree from Cargill, where Greg's portfolio ranged from environmental topics to the climate on a global basis, Greg is currently actively involved in organizing CCL's Minnesota statewide teams, as well as working on the CCL agriculture and forestry action team. So we are in a real treat for all of Greg's expertise tonight. And we're gonna structure the overview for tonight's agenda pretty straightforwardly. We'll first dive in to the high level overview of the Farm Bill. We'll go a little bit more into what the House and the Senate are saying with their respective committees and what their roles are in this ongoing process. Greg's going to debut um, some of the policy debates that are happening for this particular five-year cycle, um, particularly around the climate provisions. And then we're going to be joined by Ben Pendergrass, CCL's Vice President of Government Affairs, for a discussion and update on the Technical Service Provider Act, kind of the next step after the Growing Climate Solutions Act that we are going to be focusing on to help continue to build out the benefits that the IRA has with funding for farming and forestry. And we'll save plenty of time for Q&A. Uh, but with that, thank you all so much for being here. You're in for a real treat tonight. Again, you're welcome to put in the chat where you're calling in from. I'll drop a link to where you can follow along with the slides that Greg's gonna be using. And you can also start using that Q&A icon on your black Zoom toolbar to ask questions. So with that, the floor is yours, Greg. Thank you, Brett, and welcome, everybody. Good, good evening. Uh, as Brett said, we're going to do an overview, a basic overview of the Farm Bill. And one of the reasons why is the 2018 Farm Bill was over 1,000 pages long. So it's a topic I've been learning on over the past year. My liaison is on the Senate Agricultural Committee. And last June at the CCL conference, they hinted that almost immediately they were going to start to work on the farm bill. So it's been a learning curve for me as well, too. But I'll share what I've been able to piece together here. So as we talk about the farm bill, but also as we look at agriculture as a whole, this is a framework you should keep in your head about these three large buckets. One being that agriculture can be split into the commodity agriculture, i.e. the corn, beans, wheat, and then also the specialty agriculture, things like fruit, nuts, vegetables, and also organics. And the third major bucket is animal protein. And you're, you'll see in the farm bill debates that some of the talks are aligned with these buckets. This is just a, a rough rule of thumb to help organize your thinking, but it's important to understand that agriculture is a very diverse economic sector. And so when we talk about it, it's good to understand some of these layers to it. Agriculture also has economic drivers and farmers usually require economic pull to change. Right now, due to both inflation 
and other global pressures. It's common for farmers to talk about the thin margins and high input costs, input costs being things like seed and fertilizer. Keep in mind the U.S. is a net calorie exporter. Agricultural markets are almost always tied to global marketplaces and trade. And the Farm Bill is, is an important tool to help farmers de-risk transition costs here. But these economic drivers, the Farm Bill, as we'll hear over a 10-year period, is $1.5 trillion expenditure. So it's very much about looking at the economics of the agricultural sector, as well as the consumers of the agricultural sector, the public, like everybody on this call. All right. So what is the Farm Bill? The Farm Bill is an omnibus bill, multi-year legislation, sets national agricultural nutrition, conservation, and forestry policy. Talked about in 2018, the Farm Bill was over a thousand pages long, and it included 12 titles, and we'll look at the titles on the next slide. The titles can vary from Farm Bill to Farm Bill, but there's a good likelihood that the 12 titles will be carried forward in 2023, but that's not a certainty. Funding in the Farm Bill is on a five-year cycle. 2018 was the last Farm Bill. 2023 is the current expiration date for the current one. And as we look at numbers here, I've pulled most of the numbers from the Congressional Budget Office, and they're, they're on a 10-year cycle. Sometimes, depending upon the speaker, you may hear one year or five years. So if you're comparing different articles, reports, presentations, just understanding what the base is for the budget estimates here. The other thing we'll talk about, we're gonna spend a little bit more time on the differences between mandatory spending versus discretionary spending. But almost everything coming out of the Congressional Budget Office focuses on mandatory spending because that's what is authorized once the Farm Bill is approved. In contrast, and we'll see discretionary spending co covers most of what the U.S. Forest Service does, and that has to go through an annual appropriations process, so the funding isn't guaranteed from year to year like the five-year. And when we talk about the big numbers, those are the 10-year estimates, and that's for mandatory spending. So the 2023 Farm Bill. Bipartisan action is quite common, and we're already seeing that with a number of marker bills introduced, which has bipartisan support, and often bicameral support, where we're seeing bills introduced in both the House and the Senate with bipartisan support. And as I'll allude, often on a regional basis, so I'm located in the Midwest, and it's very common for the Midwest representatives and sen senators to be very in line in Farm Bill priorities. Another common theme you'll see is the Farm Bill overall is viewed as a good structure. There's not much pressure to think you're going to blow this thing up and make radical changes to it. The budget is tight. We'll talk about the baseline coming from the Congressional Budget Office. There's going to be another baseline coming out this month that's anticipated. And the headline you see in 2023, at least, it's been talked that Congress's biggest fight over climate will be in the Farm Bill. So let me explain a little bit of what's on this slide. On the left-hand side, you see both the 2018 Farm Bill and also the current baseline as of February 2023 
for the new farm bill and the expenditures. And what's on the far left side, the titles when you see commodities, conservation, trade, those are the current 12 titles of the 2018 farm bill. And we, we will look at the spending in a pie wheel, which is a little easier to see the distribution of where most of the funding is. But I did highlight, given CCL's interest in the healthy forest policy platform, I just wanted to highlight when we talk about the mandatory spending, you'll notice that the forestry title is a footnote. And the footnote is out of the roughly 1.5 trillion dollars projected over the 10 years, the mandatory spending for the forestry title is less than 10 million here. So you're going to see on the subsequent pie wheels and charts, you don't even see the forestry title represented because it's a rounding error looking at the mandatory spending here. However, I do want to, given CCL's interest, and this is the one slide where we are not talking about 10-year spending now. So this is coming from the USDA, and this is their fiscal 24 budget. So this is a one-year budget, not the 10-year like we've been talking about from the Congressional Budget Office. And this looks, the slide on the left then, the pie wheel, looks at both mandatory and discretionary outlays. And you can see forestry in this one year would represent 5% of the budget of the USDA. And then the pie wheel on the right gives you a little bit more of a breakdown on what the forestry services focuses on with 30% of the budget going to wildfire fire man management, another 24% to wildfire suppression. So you can see the distribution in the total budget of about $7.4 billion. At the top, you also see a little shorthand for the differences between mandatory spending. And as you can see, mandatory spending, once it's approved in the farm bill, then the funding comes from the treasury without it going through an annual appropriations process. And in contrast to the discretionary appropriation, including the natural resources and environment, which is where the US Forestry Service sits, that goes through an annual appropriation process where Congress has far more control then about what's done. So funding does happen for the Forestry Service. It's just most of this talk on the Farm Bill focuses on mandatory spending and the forestry title is not a big player in that. I just highlighted this because of CCL's Healthy Forest initiative, but most of the forest funding is discretionary and not mandatory here. So looking at the mandatory spending here, and this is also mandatory spending without the Inflation Reduction Act dollars, and there's a subsequent slide where we have that in perspective, but notice that the nutrition title right now, and this is over a 10-year time period, the $1.5 trillion, 1.2 trillion of it is associated with the nutrition title right now. So 82% of the spending. And the bulk of that is the SNAP program. But then you see really the big three from an agricultural perspective, the crop insurance, the conservation title and the commodities title next and the spending, at least the 10 year projected spending. And then you have the little wedge, the $10 billion and you see 
trade, horticulture, research, miscellaneous, and then you see some other titles which essentially have zero mandatory spending here. So this is just a pie wheel distribution. And the next slide, we're gonna zoom in on the agricultural portion here of the spending. So I had talked about crop insurance and you can see on the far left, the crop insurance is a whole pro program, but the conservation title then is split into different conservation pro programs here. And likewise, the commodity title has different parts to it, but then that other wedge gets broken down into a number of different programs here. So in a thousand page bill, there's layers of complexity to it. So sometimes when you hear the conservation title even, keep in mind that there's multiple programs like EQIP is by far the largest program. Also the Conservation Reserve looking at the, the dollars right in front of me here. So these are the big titles. This is the mandatory spending. This is the 10-year projection coming from the Congressional Budget Office right now. And one of the reasons this is so important is the Congressional Budget Office baseline largely sets what the final numbers are going to be. And there'll be a score sheet that if Congress says they're going to increase spending, or decrease spending, Congress has the ability to move spending around, but it's gonna be very diff difficult to think that they're gonna increase spending past the baseline under any circumstance. And that was before the Republicans had brought the debt ceiling discussion into the mix here too. So more than likely what's coming out from the Congressional Budget Office is gonna serve as that's the maximum amount of funds which will go towards the farm bill. And then the discussion is how to fund the programs within it. So we're gonna switch off of the funding here. That's a high level overview of the titles and the funding. And we're gonna look at the two committees in the House and the Senate side. And the next two slides are a series of quotes pulled. And this has been consolidated, but I would just say, while there's attributions about who said the quote, whether they're a Republican, whether they're a Democrat, I could have almost interchanged who said these quotes. And I could have interchanged what the House was saying and the Senate was saying. I could have interchanged what the Democrats and Republicans are saying, meaning that it's a very common message coming out right now when people are talking about the farm bill. So let's look at some of these quotes from the House side here. Um, First quote, when it comes to the farm bill, most folks in rural America would say we have a pretty good one that's set to expire. And Representative Brad Finstead is a farmer by trade. It's his, it's his first term in the House and he's on the House Agricultural Committee, not surprising, somebody who is a farmer in Southern Minnesota. Representative Bacon tells that crop insurance is a top issue and you're gonna hear this repeated over and over again that that safety net for farmers is viewed as the top issue. Representative Dusty Johnson, a good friend of my representative, talks about we're not dealing with the unlimited amount of money. Representative Johnson has already introduced a bill looking at the work requirements and the SNAP programs and ways to potentially look at controlling spending here. Biofuels has very strong political support in both parties here. In fact, if you're following the debt ceiling discussion and what got passed in HR1, the 
carve out, which is proposed to roll back the IRA funding, the biofuels was removed from that because of pushback from the Midwest Republicans. Conservation programs are usually talked about remaining voluntary, remaining incentive-based. The play is what are the incentives here? And keep in mind, as we talked about, we're playing in an international market. International trade is very important as well as exporting. So this is a sample of quotes from the House side. If we look at the Senate side, you hear very similar types of reminders. Senator Tina Smith talks about producers are feeling the pinch. And she adds consolidation, inflation, lack of meat processing, and concerns over the input costs like fertilizer and seed. Senator from North Dakota again talks about crop insurance needing to strengthen it. He calls it the number one risk management tool here. Second priority for him is, is a program, agricultural risk and price loss coverage. Again, reflecting current reference pricing. And so if you think about reference pricing going back to 2018, the last time the Farm Bill was passed, current costs are very different. So one thing which has to be happened is updating of these reference pricing. Senator Klobuchar talks about the need for emergency relief. And there's a discussion about should the ad hoc emergency relief, and emergency relief can be something, whether it's flooding in the spring, wiping out planted crops, or whether it's things like bird flu. How do you help the community get past these emergency events? She is also a proponent of biofuels and rural development like broadband and also conservation and research. And Senator Grassley, one of her good friends and often introducing bipartisan bills, talks about the need to be promoting exports here. So these two House and the Senate, the quotes are almost interchangeable between the two parties, giving you good insight into what the priorities are will be in the discussions and what some of the focus areas will be. So I wanna take a look at, real briefly, and this is high level, this is a map from the University of Illinois just showing who are the members on the House Agricultural Committee. And keep in mind, because South Dakota only has one representative, that's why it looks so big. Each House district has roughly the same population to it. But you can see the Republicans have control of the House Agricultural Committee, so they will be leading the negotiations. But you can see the makeup. It is coast to coast, and that's in a little contrast to what you're going to see on the Senate committee coming up here in a second. Now, this is the Senate makeup here, and the Senate is other under Democratic control. And there's two states which are unique. One is the state I'm located in, Minnesota, and the other one is Iowa, where both senators are on the Senate Ag Committee. And you see a little bit contrast, while the West is representative with Bennett in Colorado, there's no coverage here from the far West on the Senate Ag Committee here. So a little bit different makeup than the House Committee. I also wanna take a look at this next chart and let me explain what you're looking at here. This is for the Senate and on the bottom are the Senate senators with on the left-hand side are the Democrats, the right-hand side are the Republicans. But this takes a look at a state-by-state -state basis, and green is the percent of the Farm Bill ben benefits which are going to the farm, and then contrasting in the gray with how much is going to SNAP, largely the nutrition 
benefits here. So you can see as a whole on average, the Republican states tend to get more of the farm bill coming out of the farm side of the program compared to the nutrition side of the program, although that is not universal. You can look at Mitch McConnell in Kentucky, and the majority of what Kentucky gets is on SNAP, and his farm side is under 10%. You notice a state like Min Minnesota is the highest on the Democratic control at just over just about 20% of the benefits here. So when we talk about the debate between funding and recognizing that the nutrition and the SNAP program right now is estimated to be 82% of a $1.5 trillion spend over 10 years, this just gives you a sense about perhaps what sen the senators are gonna be focusing on. So somebody like Cory Booker in New Jersey you can see almost 100% of what New Jersey receives is associated with SNAP. Virtually no dollars coming from the farm going to New Jersey. So just a little perspective to understand as senators are thinking about who their constituents are, what are driving some of the different interests here. So we're gonna shift gears and talk about some of the ongoing policy debates which continue to evolve. One of the first ones, which CCL, I'm going to, has been involved the Inflation Reduction Act and the roughly $20 bill, bill, billion dollars in additive funding, which came from the Inflation Reduction Act, to the conservation programs. And a debate occurring is, should that be money be carved out and moved into other high-priority programs, like crop insurance, for example? Another debate is, is this a one-time effort over the life of the Inflation Reduction Act, or could it be possibly viewed as a long-term addition to the Farm Bill baseline? The third one is a real wonky detail. There's a program called EQIP, has, which has had a preset amount prior to the Inflation Reduction Act that 50% of the funding had to go towards livestock. And the Inflation Reduction Act rolled that back to allow more non-livestock entities to have access to EQIP. But you're going to see this debated. So keep in mind the conservation programs are currently oversubscribed, which is one of the reasons the additional funds was coming through the Inflation Reduction Act, and that the Farm Bill budget is largely fixed. And that's why there's interest in potentially taking those funds and shifting them into other high-priority funds. Pro programs here. And certainly the debt ceiling has complicated the issue along with ongoing inflation. Now this just takes a look at the pie wheel we saw, but this time it adds in the total spending coming from the Inflation Reduction Act. So you can see in almost a $1.5 trillion spend, it's not that big of a bump up coming from the Inflation Reduction Act, but it certainly has been a flashpoint for early debates and discussions around the Farm Bill and funding. If we look at this on a year-by-year -year basis, this shows the current Farm Bill conservation programs, and then also what the bump up on the year-by-year -year is starting in 2024, and rolling through the sunset debt of 2031 for the additional funds going to the conservation pro, pro programs here. So again, in certain years, this is a significant bump up in funding, almost a 50% in, 
increase in funding in fiscal year 27 and fiscal year 28, the peak periods of funding for the additional funds right now with the Inflation Reduction Act. And CCL, this was great to see. Um, a few months ago, we were one of 644 organizations which submitted a letter urging Congress to keep the conservation funding as additional. This was also part of the March Conservative Conference, one of the asks to be talking about this. So it's something CCL has already been active in and great to see. So there's a, there's a publication called The Hill and they outline five fights which are brewing back in March. And I'm just gonna go through a couple, a couple of these here. One is saying how much we can afford and it's taking a look at, and also in my words, what can get enough votes to pass? Both the House and the Senate have thin majorities. You're gonna have to find something which keeps the groups together in order to pass, especially because it has to get through both, both chambers here. There's a discussion about this emergency relief funding, the disaster funding that's typically been treated as an ad hoc. Some groups are going to Congress, the trade groups and saying this should be worked into the existing mandatory spending to make sure that it's not subject to discretionary funding on an ad hoc basis. One of the second points being talked about is what we just talked about, this conservation funding. Does it remain voluntary and incentive-based? Would there be new limits like we talked about with the EQIP program rolling back that 50% having to go to livestock? Should we raid the climate kitty, i.e. the IRA funding like we talked about? Could that be reallocated to programs like crop insurance, for example, which is also oversubscribed? There's always a tension between what I'll call big ag and small scale, between conventional agriculture, some of the organic and the specialty ones, where funding is going to. The funding coming out of the farm bill has a lot of the pork belly associated with it. Some crops like peanuts in Georgia and cotton in Texas get a lot of money out of the farm bill here. So where the money goes, there's lots of numbers and it's easy to twist them around. And also farm waste on the animal side is something we probably don't get into as much. The equip funding was trying to roll that back a bit. Then there's a much longer list of policy debates here. And just in the interest of getting through them, I threw out a number of them here. I'm not gonna talk about each of these, but I will say we're seeing this, a debate occurring right now with the work program requirements and SNAP. And in particular, is it gonna be debated as part of the debt ceiling, which is what the Republicans are pushing for, or would it be debated as part of the farm bill, which is what the Dems are wanting for. The crop insurance, it's been talked about the number one issue, the safety net. Some groups are pushing to add a climate option into the crop insurance program, but keep in mind, anytime you see the word add, if the budget is fixed, you have to figure out where the funding is gonna be moved from. So when we talk about adding programs in now, the question is, where's the funding going to be coming from? There's also an attack from the Republicans on the Commodity Credit Corp. I shouldn't say an attack. They want more control over the discretionary spending. 
and they feel like the USDA by funding the climate smart ag programs through the commodity credit corp is beyond what the core purpose of that program is and because it's discretionary funding they perhaps want to carve back some control and these are just some of the many debates which are ongoing I will say out west in spite of the record snowfall this past winter certainly the drought the water supply is getting the Western representatives talking about what can be done to ensure long-term supply of water for not only the agricultural sector, but the communities as a whole. And with that, I'm gonna let Brett talk about, I think what will be a secondary ask this June. Good evening, everyone. I'm Ben Pinterest, CCL's Vice President of Government Affairs, and I'm, I'm glad you guys are all tuning in to learn a little bit about the Farm Bill. Just briefly, I wanted to flag a bill that was actually introduced this week by Senator Braun and Senator Bennett in the Senate and um, Representatives Bard and Spanberger in the House um, called the TPS Access Act of 2023. Uh, for background, you know, uh, the IRA just provided uh, almost $20 billion and new money for conservation and climate programs. Well, that's very important. We're able to utilize that money. And part of that is farmers need access to technical service providers that can have the knowledge um, to help them implement some of these programs. And so the TPS Access Act of 2023 will make it easier for um, technical service providers to get um, certified. And so great and greatly increase the number of these that farmers can access. Um, I think this bill will be important to make sure we feel fully utilize that IRA money. One of the problems is that the Natural Resource Conservation Service and USDA identified that, you know, USDA really needs 3,000 to 4,000 employees over the next two years to help implement some of these programs. Um, however, they've Notice that in the last year, the USDA was given authority to hire 1,500 people, but we're only able to re retain 500. This will really bill will allow USDA to build on a previous program in the 2018 Farm Bill that will allow independent certification of these technical service providers and really increase their overall numbers. So this is a bill that you might see us um, having listed as a supporting ask um, when we come in June. And just keep out on the lookout for more information from us. And there might be more stuff coming down the, the pipe. Um, our agriculture and forestry action team has been doing some great work looking for and finding some really good uh, marker bills that could be included as part of the farm bill. And so some of those you will also see uh, in coming weeks listed as, as possible supporting asks. I hope everybody enjoys the program. And I look forward to seeing a lot of you in June in person. All right, thank you, Ben. That is a perfect tee up. Actually, back to you, Greg, if you're willing to reshare to talk a little bit more about the work okay. that you and others have done with the marker bills and just kind of what else has been going on with the egg and forest action team. So with the CCL's ag and forestry team, um, well, let me start from, from the top here. Where's CCL playing? One has been signing on to this conservation fund, funding letter, and I talked about in March at the conservative conference 
that was one of the asks was to make sure that this conservation funding remains additive to the farm bill compared to it potentially being siphoned off to fund other programs. So a subset of the Ag and Forestry team has been working to identify marker bills. Now, somebody asked me after I gave this session on a regional basis, what's a marker bill? And a marker bill really introduces an idea with the intent that that bill isn't gonna be passed on its own, that it's gonna be rolled into an omnibus bill, in this case, the farm bill. So there's actually one round of marker bills in April. There were some many listening sessions and there's gonna be more marker bills being introduced, but a small group led by Nancy Jacobson has been working to review these marker bills for bare, uh, look at them and say how many of them have bipartisan support, does it help the lower 40, write a short recap of them, and then send them to Ben and Jen for consideration. So we're going to continue working on that, um, trying to identify marker bills, which are appropriate. And again, a marker bill is meant to introduce an idea, but one of the if a marker bill has more sponsors or co-sponsors, it has a higher likelihood of getting incorporated into the final bill. And that's why it's important for us to keep working and leaning into those in June. Um, talked about this, but just to repeat, given CCL's interest in healthy forests, most of the farm bill, while forestry is part of the discussion, it can sometimes authorize pilot programs from a mandatory perspective. The bulk of the funding is discretionary, meaning it goes through a different process. And so when you see the big numbers, the big debates are gonna focus on that mandatory spending of the farm bill. There was already one hearing about forestry in the Senate side, so it's included, but it's not the focus area of what's gonna unfold over the next few months here. And again, about the agricultural and now the agriculturally and forest action team, we expanded the name. Um, we work on trying to educate CCL members about ag and ag policies, um, reach out to different stakeholder groups, and certainly do the advocacy and building the political will, which CCL is good, is good at, writing letters to the editors, trying to collaborate with like-minded organizations here. And then also um, working with the staff with CCL and the members of Congress about agriculture. I know for one, I'm in a state where agriculture has a very large portion. Um, it's a political heavyweight. So we have to be educated as liaisons going into the offices about what's happening in the agricultural space. With that, thank you. Brett, should I stop sharing here? I think we're great. Yeah, let's, before anything else, Greg, thank you. You are the one that we're so grateful for tonight in putting this together. Hope that you found tonight's training useful and empowering, and we look forward to seeing you around. Thank you all. Thanks so much, Greg. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Citizens Climate Lobby's training program. You can tune into more episodes anywhere podcasts are available. Inspired by what you heard today? Join Citizens Climate Lobby to advocate for bipartisan climate solutions. Go to community.citizensclimate.org to find more trainings, resources, your local chapter, national action teams, discussion forums, and more. Be sure to like our Facebook page and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Citizens Climate. We also invite all of our listeners to subscribe to our YouTube channel for more inspiration. Like what you hear? Recommend us to your friends and make sure to give us a five-star rating. It helps us show up on other listeners' feeds. Feel free to pass on any suggestions for future episodes in the comments as well. And together, 
we are creating the political will for a livable world.